Welcome to the Mere and Powerful Podcast, where we believe in going far by going together. Hello, listeners. Happy New Year, and welcome to another episode of the Empowerful Podcast. I'm Brian Pape. And I'm Rebecca Pape. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. On this episode, we sit down with Jack Carulettois, uh, who is the founder and CEO of Silverback Coffee. Yes, he grew up in Rwanda and came to the U.S. as a teen in the 90s, just before the genocide of Rwanda, and has an incredible story of resilience and growth. Uh, His story is just one to not be missed or overlooked. He had a brief um, stint in professional basketball. He dabbled in acting for a bit. Uh, but always knew that he wanted to pursue coffee and give back to his family and community in the process. Yeah, he is such an inspiration for his passion uh, of generosity. And we uh, turns out Jack and I share a couple of things in common. You'll have to l- tune in and listen, uh, but some surprising uh, similarities, which is, which is always fun. Uh, but most of all, I was just impressed by his resilience and his, his very method- methodical approach to business of just doing the next thing right in front of him uh, just and just kind of getting after it. So uh, I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we did. And uh, we hope you enjoy. Jack, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Brian, Rebecca, thank you so much for having me. Truly appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Yeah, we uh, here we are in the new year. You're our first guest uh, on the podcast this year. So we're excited to chat about so many things that we're passionate about. Uh, you know, coffee and Rwanda and entrepreneurship and basketball. I'm passionate about basketball, Beck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can I can appreciate it from the we'll, sidelines. We'll, we'll get her into it. We'll, we'll, we'll get, I'll, I'll help. Awesome. I like that. Awesome. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, so we, we today we have uh, uh, Jack Carouletois. And what's really exciting is uh, for me, I, I uh, actually know your brother, uh, which is funny because uh, completely independently of the, of the work that we've done with him, uh, Henry, our, our, uh, our producer on this, introduced us uh, to you all, and you've been a customer partner. And I thought, hmm, I wonder if these these two are brothers. So uh, two amazing men doing amazing work in coffee. We're so excited to dig into your story, though, specifically today about uh, you know your life and and your uh, incredible work uh, in the coffee field, and also your support of an, an amazing country, Rwanda. So again, thanks for joining us. Um, yeah, I'd, I, how do you want to kick off the show? We're Gosh, f- I feel a little rusty, a little sore, a little rusty. A little rusty, yeah, like <laughs> like brush off the cobwebs. Um, well, your story obviously is a really unique one. It's very interesting, and I think, well, I have a hunch that when you're interviewed, oftentimes people jump right to. You grew up in Rwanda during the genocide. What? Tell me about that. Dig into that. But but I, right. but I got to wondering what part of your story you most like to tell and what what you think is remarkable about your story. So we I mean, we could go in chronological order and, and maybe we can do that in a minute here. But right. h- how do you present yourself to the world and, and what, do, what do you think is most remarkable about what, what, what you're doing and what you've done? Well, um, like you said, I like to tell it in chronological order only because it, it helps because our upbringing is so wild. It's, 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 it's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, but, and every chapter build, kind of builds on the one before it. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, for me, uh, I like to tell people that, you, you know, yes, I understand 
you know, the way most people know Rwanda is through the genocide. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's, that's what people know. And, and, and I want them to know that, but I also want them to dig a little deeper and understand that we are, we are, we are beyond that, but we're never going to forget that um, because it, it only helps us grow. Uh, in my situation, people also have to understand that the 94 genocide is the worst of them all. We had three genocides. We've had, we had one in, in the 50s and the late 60s before we were born, but my parents experienced. And what people don't know is my parents were refugees within their own country. And usually as a refugee, you, you're not a refugee in your country. You, you're either in a neighboring country or in another country. Um, but Rwanda at the time was so such a such a terrible place to be uh, as a Tutsi, um, and my parents lived in refugee camps within Rwanda, uh, so it was a very difficult time for them. So they've always fled. You know, they they lived in Uganda, they lived in the Congo, they lived in Burundi. They they just consistently moved. Mm-hmm. And for us, when we were born, we left at such an early young age, and we lived in Uganda as refugees. But at the time, there was a president who was kind of in cahoots with, with, the, uh, with the current president, not the current president of Rwanda, but the president then, uh, Habyarimana, who, who was basically, you know, any Tutsi anywhere, whether you're in Uganda or Rwanda, you, you, you suffered. You know, you, you, you were either killed or imprisoned or something. So we were always on the move. We moved from Uganda to Kenya, back to Uganda, back to Kenya. My parents were in the Congo for a little bit. And we were always being persecuted, you know, and, and living in, in Uganda, sometimes we pretended uh, to not to not to be Tutsi, not to be Rwandan, uh, just so we could survive. In, in, in schools, our parents had always talked about never talking about where you come from, you know. We learned how to speak the local languages just so we could, you know, survive there, you know. So from Uganda, we moved to Kenya, we learned how to speak Swahili. Uh, so we went through school there, but at the same time, we pretended not to be Tutsi again. Uh, and then the government there also started kicking out all the Tutsis, so we had nowhere to go. But lucky for us, uh, with the current president, uh, Paul Kagame, there was a movement in, 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 the, in, in the late 93, where they decided, you know, it's time to go back home. Um, and they had already been in the uh, army of, of Uganda. And once they took over Uganda, they said, you know, we've got to go all the way and go back home. Um, now, my parents had been fortunate enough to do somewhat a good, decent job of raising us in, in, in these countries. You know, they shielded us from stuff. But as kids, we knew there was something wrong because we constantly saw people coming in, going out. Uh, we didn't know who they who they were, but they were always and there was always movement late at night. You know, we were always being shielded from it by my dad, by my mom. My mom was very spiritual, so there was a lot of prayer. You know, we you know we went to church often. Everything was have faith. Everything will be okay. But there was always a fear. There was always kind of looking over your shoulder and 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 not knowing what was going to happen. You know, we we moved from one country to another country in the middle of the night. Uh, you know, parents would just, they wouldn't explain, we just, they would just say, we just have to go, you know, just leave everything, just have to go. We didn't argue, we didn't complain, we didn't, we didn't know, we just thought we were moving. Um, and then uh, the worst part came, you know, late 93, when uh, all of a sudden we started hearing chatter of, you know, they're going to come try to kill you guys. 
you know, I know my dad was one that was one of the people that we're trying to get to. Uh, so uh, lucky for me, a friend of my father who lived in the U.S. Uh, said, look, why don't you just send Jack uh, and I can help him get into school or something. So literally I left in the fall, December of 93. And as soon as I got here, four months later, the genocide just just went ballistic. Mm-hmm. My dad fled. My family, Arthur and them, and Nashiel and Jackie and all of them were still in Uganda, you know, hiding out, uh, not knowing what was going to happen. And, and you know, Kagame and his and his group did an amazing job and 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 you know seized control and took power. And literally days after, my mom and dad went back to Rwanda and and started helping with it, you know, with the healing. Uh, situation there. Um, wow. So what was, what was your concept as a kid leading into your teens? What was your concept of home being that you relocated so many times? It was just, we just, all we knew is we, we had a lot of people in our house. We just had people we didn't know. We had other families we didn't know. And to us, it just, we just thought that was, the norm. We just thought everybody's home was like this. You know, we had so many people. We shared beds with kids we didn't know. Uh, and then that family went. And then there was another set of families. And then we shared our clothes and our beddings and our stuff. And, you know, my mom would give some of our clothing away. And we, we never really complained. Um, to, it's, looking back, I say, if I was a normal kid growing up somewhere else, I'd be mad that my my shoes are being given to somebody else or my shirt has been given to somebody else. But at the time we just thought this is normal. Um, so we didn't have anything to compare it to, uh, to either be upset or happy about. But, um, but it, at the same time, it was, it was weird. It was fun because there was always something. It, it was exciting know? probably to an extent. Yeah. yeah. Right. As a young kid, there was always stories. There was so many, aunt- everybody was an auntie and everybody was an uncle. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, listen to your auntie, listen to your uncle. This is your cousin, even though they are not, you know. <laughs> so, but, but we just looked at it like, wow, you know, oh, that's my, that's my cousin. But today we just know it was my dad's friend's kids, you know. Yeah, yeah. Kids. yeah. Um, oh, that's interesting. Was, yeah, there was some sort of excitement, but there was also some sort of fear. Because there would be moments where we would hear a lot of noise, a lot of arguing, a lot of complaining, a lot of this but we didn't know. My mom, my mom, I think, you know, and to this day, I, I think my mom, I mean, her name is Teresa. We call her Teddy, but you know, she's like truly a mother Teresa. You know, mm-hmm. she really was. She, she took care of us. She took care of other families and it was always giving, 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 you know, and um, that's who myself and my uh, siblings have become. Yeah. Uh, can I ask too, what you came to understand about your your Tutsi identity and what that meant for you as a kid, or did you see did you see the disparity between the two groups? Well, the the only thing we knew was the physical appearance. Mm-hmm. Was the, is the only difference between us it was physical appearance. Uh, other than that, we all spoke the same language. Uh, the country is like ninety nine percent Catholic. Uh, our traditions are the same. The only thing is, you know, the Tutsis kind of dealt with cattle and milk and the Hutu were more agricultural and we are a little more slimmer and taller. Uh, but other than that, we, 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 our heritage is the same. Our language is the same. Uh, you know, we're all Catholic, so there was no religious bias or, you know, turmoil. Um, but 
growing up, all I knew was don't say you're Tutsi, mm -hmm. you know, don't say you're Tutsi. It, it almost was like a bad thing. And if someone called you Tutsi, you really got upset. Now, uh, now we, we, the country, the, the, the community, we've decided to get rid of that, where we just call each other, you know, Rwandan or Rwandese. Uh, but at the time, it was like, oh, no, I'm not Tutsi, you know, don't call me Tutsi. And, and you could almost, you know, go to blows and fight another kid because he called you a Tutsi, even though he was correct, you were. But, you know, we were told, don't, don't say you're from Rwanda, don't say you're Tutsi, you know, hide it, you know. So there was like a stigma about it and it, it wasn't it wasn't cool to be a Tutsi at the time. Yeah, you know? yeah. I spent time in Rwanda in 2019 with uh, our nonprofit partner, Kula. And mm -hmm. I heard I heard so many Rwandans calling one another brother and sister and neighbor yeah. and like you say, auntie, uncle, cousin, right. I mean, talk right. about healing and, you know, right. ditching the old, the old language and the old ideas. I mean, Mentality. it's, yeah, yeah it's, it, it, it was, it was hard in the beginning because there was always, you know, blame, you know, you did this to us, you did this to us, you caused this, but the only way to move forward was to just, you know, say, look, we're all the same, you know, no more identity because Growing up, you had an identity card that said you were Tutsi or you were Hutu, mm -hmm. and that limited any education you got or jobs you got or any sort of uh, uh, positions in government. Uh, you know, anything that had power, you a Tutsi was never granted right. or, or, or was never awarded. You know, so so this whole identity thing was removed, and now we just had a regular ID saying you're Rwandan or a passport saying you're Rwandan and that's it. Mm -hmm. And they discourage it in day-to-day in, in -day conversation, you know? Um, yeah, the, that's, that's where we are today as a country. This, may, this, this is probably a, a really dumb question, but the, the, the main identifier other than your heritage was Tutsis were taller and more slender, like, like significantly, or is it like, how would, how would a common person know the difference? You just nailed it. It's literally taller and slender and, 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 and a lot of, you know, skinnier, you know, if you want to call it that. And they were a little more, you know, sh shorter and a little stockier. But that's really, that's, that's it. That's uh, physical appearance. Um, but that's it. Hmm. Uh, it reminds that, me of, you have, you have little kids, right? I have one. Okay. Okay. I don't know yeah. if you all read Dr. Seuss, but we read Dr. Seuss at home. Have you read The Sneetches? I have it. My wife probably has. Okay. It's a, it's yeah. a classic, you know, Dr. Seuss character and there's one group and, and another, and the only difference is some have stars for belly buttons and the others okay. don't. And it's just a, it's such a commentary of course on just how ridiculous we can be based on what we, what we see with our eyes. Right. Exactly. Uh, appearance, appearances, you know, the inwardness is the same, but the appearance is different, but is, it's what's inside, like we always preach, that matters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so those were your early years. What, uh, age, what age did you fly over to? I'm, I'm also curious at, you know, how did, how, what did that look like? I mean, you said you just, you know, your your father's friend and you, you know, you traveled to the U.S., but what did that practically look like? Like, where did you take a plane to and how many layovers oh. did you, like, and, I'm just and curious why the And why the U.S. too? I mean, were there other places considered? It, 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 was, it was weird. It was crazy. Um, I, see, I have asthma, and and we knew that uh, the climate one mattered, so because of my asthma. So 
And, and, and a, fr a friend of my father's who works in the U.S. Embassy in, in, in Kenya and in Uganda, my parents and my parents and he always, you know, they stayed in touch. Yeah, they communicated, they, they talked on the phone. So when he knew what was going on, he offered to, to take me in. Um, so, you know, and he lived in L.A. So that was really the main destination. But uh, coming, it's funny, I was... I was excited, but sad. It, it was it was strange. I was excited because I knew I was going somewhere that you only see on TV. You know, you you saw how cool it was on TV. But I was sad because I felt like, like, but I'm leaving my my sister. I'm leaving my brother. You know, I, I, how can I enjoy this when I know what they're going through? You know, mm. um, but at the same time, I felt like, okay. Maybe if I go, they can come later, you know? So there were so many things in my head going on as try to enjoy this, but I couldn't enjoy it, you know? So I got here and everything was so fast. Everything moved fast. Cars moved fast. People talked fast. I, I, I kept saying, sorry, huh? What? Because I just, I couldn't understand them. And everything was big. Everything was, a, the, you know, food on a plate was massive. <laughs> it, everything everything was just fast uh, and I, I couldn't understand it and and, and the way we're still trying to understand it, it too jack <laughs> <laughs> right you know and, and there was so i'll go to a grocery store and i and i'll see like 15 different types of water and i'm like what does what like there were so many questions i had but nobody could answer you know and 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 so i just kept it to myself and say okay try to figure it out um I just knew that I had to do well in school, you know, to make my parents happy. I, I knew that if I did well in school, things would be better. Um, and, and, and right when school was starting, the little money that I had disappeared, you know, because that we didn't realize as a foreign student how much more money you had to pay. Um, so that disappeared quick. And I told my dad, I, I have no more money. I couldn't work. I didn't have, you know, a work permit, uh, and I, you know, and, and the gentleman that had taken me in, his financial situation kind of went down as, a, as as literally as I came, so it was kind of difficult. And he's like, "Well, you gotta get a job," and I was like, "I gotta get a job. I'm 15 years old. I'm supposed to be in school." Yeah. And and and, and lucky for me, I run into George Raveling. Um, he was the, the coach. I didn't know who he was at the time, but he was the coach at USC. And, and he said, came up to me and said, do you play basketball? I'm like, no, but I like it. <laughs> and, and he invited me to USC. And, and the gentleman that I was living with had played football for USC way earlier in the 60s or something. And, and he was a big football fan. So when he introduced me to him, uh, he took me to USC and obviously noticed that I had never played the game, but I was quick, I was fast. So he said, okay, I'm gonna send you to a buddy of mine at a junior college uh, and, and go there, you know, polish up your basketball and we'll see what we can do. Maybe you can come play for us on a scholarship. So when I heard the word scholarship, I said, that's it. I grinded it out. I literally was basketball eight hours a day, hmm. uh, all day. So I ended up getting a basketball scholarship to Arizona State but then they took it back because there was a kid who was taking money to lose game, which at the time I didn't understand about scholarships and not being able to work. Like I didn't understand the whole system of NCAA. I just knew that I was in school for free I, and that's all I wanted. So yeah. that was taken and another school offered me a scholarship Grand Canyon University. 
uh, also in Phoenix, Arizona. So I, I went there. I, I didn't understand the whole division one, division two. I just knew free school, take it. Yeah, I'm in. Um, you know, so exactly. So I took it because I, I, I called my parents and I said, yeah, I'm going to school. I'm going to go to play basketball. My, my dad almost lost his mind. Because he's like, I, I, you didn't go to America to go play basketball. You went to America to go to school. I said, no, Dad, they're paying for my school. He's like, okay, go play basketball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Basketball is the ticket. The whole thing it's the turned ticket. around. And, and he's like, you know, meanwhile, I'm trying to learn this whole system of signing papers and documents on my own because I had no one to sign them. Uh, I would read a document for hours and I wouldn't understand certain things, but I just knew I'm getting free school. So I just signed the papers and just, you know, go to school. Um, so that was, it, it was, it, it was fast paced. It was crazy. It was big, but the whole time my heart and my soul and everything was at home and everything I did was to find a way to make the home situation better, you know, for mom, for dad, for sister, for brother. That's, that's all really what I was doing. I felt like there's no absolute reason why I can't succeed here. You know, because it's 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 work hard and you get it. Um, and I, I, I had no excuse. They, I, I could never tell myself I had a bad day. You know, mm. um, I just kept plugging away. You know, I kept plugging away and, and, and I would go to school and do what I needed to do and go to basketball. And, and then in my head, I started thinking, OK, go to the NBA, make some money and then help mom and dad go to the MBA, make some money, you know, you know and, and for me, I always wanted to be a businessman. Um, we didn't have sports in Africa that paid you, mm. you know, the kind of money a businessman would right. make, you know, back home. So my goal was, you know, businessman, businessman. Uh, and I was like, okay, uh, I came here to study physics. I came here to study photography. That's, that's what I liked, physics and photography. Mm. So I said, go, you know, play in the MBA, raise some money and then do what you really love. Yeah, yeah. You know, even though I love sports. Um, so my goal was, okay, go to the NBA. So I worked on that, worked on that. And then fortunate for me, things were actually heading in the right direction. You know, I, I got seen uh, playing. I got invited to the NBA Summer Pro League in, in Long Beach. And then from there, I got noticed by uh, the Harlem Globetrotters. Um, they invited me to do a tour with them, but then the more I found out about the Harlem Globetrotters, it was more of a show. Uh, I wanted something more competitive. Um, so I, I came back the following year, played in another summer pro league, uh, got noticed by uh, Kiki Vandeweghe. He used to he used to play for UCLA. He became the G at the time he was the general manager for the Denver Nuggets. Uh, and then he invited me to the NBA Big Man's Camp in Hawaii, which it's it's by invite. Uh, made it there, was successful. Uh, came back, had an opportunity to play for Mike Dunleavy with the Los Angeles Clippers uh, when he was the coach. But unfortunately for me, I had I had broken my legs on a motorcycle. Both uh, legs? So, yeah, both legs. And like what? in half. Broke, broke my femurs. You broke half. your femurs? Yeah. Both of them? Both of them. Yeah. But it's oh funny. Oh, my goodness. I, yeah. So when they saw the scars and they saw the plates in my legs – they started having misgivings about it. They're like, are you okay? Is, is this going to be a problem? I'm like, I don't think it's going to be a problem, you know? Um, and okay, then okay, hold on, hold on. Yeah, you, we just you <laughs> have, okay, you have to tell us about this accident. That is... That's wild. Do you still have a... rods in your legs? And Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, you also this. have this in common. Brian we do has have this broken in common, yeah. a femur. I broke, I, but I only did one. This is, like, I only broke my right femur, but you broke okay. both femurs. That is, yeah. that is yeah, impressive and scary. And my, and my left wrist. So I was in Goodness. I, I, had, I had a rod and you know, 10 screws. You are lucky to be here, my friend. Yes, yes. How, how old were play. you and how did it happen? Yeah, tell us. I was on a motorcycle. I, I, I used to like uh, dirt bikes, uh, motocross. And uh, I broke my legs literally a year and a half before I came to the U.S. on a motorcycle. And I had, you know, I, I wasn't allowed to walk. I literally had to learn how to walk again um, with the bars. I had to hold the bars and I had to do physical therapy, you know. And, and, and but the funny thing is, even after that, I was still able to play to the point where nobody knew because I, I would wear biker shorts like little spandex to hide the scars hmm. and nobody knew but with the clippers when they're getting ready to sign you you have to go through a physical therapy you have to do a it literally it's like you're almost like naked i mean they they scrutinize your entire body mm-hmm. and and when they saw the scars they're like whoa but uh yeah motorcycles is what did it for me so that happened before you moved to the u.s yes yeah. okay okay yeah. holy I cow yeah so, like I said, my, my, my life was crazy. So, you know, when that, when that didn't succeed, I, I kind of got tired of almost and then the scars. Almost and then the scars. So that happened, like, with the Clippers, and then it happened with the Nuggets, and then it happened with Milwaukee. Uh, and I, I felt like just, just, you know, do what you really love. And I wanted to be in coffee. You know, yeah. I wanted to be in coffee, but I wanted to use NBA funds and money to grow the coffee because I knew that I wanted to give back to my, my family and my community and my people back home. Uh, you know, my, my, my parents have always given back. My parents have always tried to help, you know, with, with us living as refugees, they helped, they took in other families. They, they did that. So I, it's, it's in me, it's who we are as a family that we, we give back, we help, we support. It just, we just feel like if somebody's doing better, we are, we're doing better too, you know? Um, so where do, do you think that came from? For I, your think parents? Just came, I think, I think my mom, uh, cause my dad, my dad worked, worked hard. He was very, very hardworking. He, we, we appreciated more now than when we were little because we, when I'm as an adult now looking back and seeing the things that he did with, with the, with the, tools that he had it, it to me it's amazing that he was able to accomplish what he accomplished with nothing mm-hmm. you know um and then my mom seeing and hearing constantly give and help and support and and it's okay you'll get some more giving them my shirt or giving them my shoes don't worry you'll get it, as a kid sometimes it's like oh, oh my that's my favorite shirt but as the older you got, you're like, okay, you got another shirt. You ended up getting more shoes. You ended, you got another backpack. It wasn't much. It was the only backpack that you would have for two years, the same one, you know, every school year. But then you start to bond with it, and then you give it to somebody else. And in Africa, when you have a pair of shoes, you, it might be two sizes small, but that's what you're going to wear, Yeah. you know? Uh, and, and when it's given away, you're like, wait. When am I gonna get another shoe that I like? So you you end up seeing how you give because you may have a little bit more than that other person. 
So you give. And, and, and what it does for that other person makes you feel something, you know? It's, it's I don't know, it's almost, you, to me, I feel like it's a feeling. It's, it's, a, it's a feeling knowing that you've helped someone that did have something that you were able to do something for them. So for me, I like that feeling. So the more I feel like I'm giving them, I get that feeling again. So if I do it again, I get that feeling again. So it's become who I, I am now. And, and I think my siblings are the same way. You know, we find ourselves trying to help, trying to support, trying to educate. And sometimes it may not be a physical thing. It may be an opportunity. It may be setting up someone with somebody else. Um, or, or it may be promoting somebody else's uh, business or work. But we find ourselves trying to give back. And in my case was, I'm in America, coffee's everywhere. Our family has been, our family has been in coffee for a very long time. My dad used to transport coffee from Kenya. You know, he was a truck driver, you know, and he would transport coffee from Kenya to Congo, Congo to Tanzania to South Africa. You know, he just drove trucks and coffee was one of the biggest products that would be driven from inland to the ports to be shipped out, whether it was Europe or America. And then when I came here and I was like, oh my God, a coffee shop on every corner. I was like, that's it. I'm gonna use NBA money. I'm gonna get some of the Rwandan coffee and bring it here. Uh, because I knew we had great coffee, but we didn't have the proper systems. We didn't have the proper washing stations. We didn't have uh, the proper understanding of once you pick your chairs, you gotta get them to a washing station as quickly as possible. When you have two washing stations or even one that don't even work properly, your coffee by the time it gets to the to a cupping or something, it's horrible. Yeah. You know, yet it's actually a good coffee. Right. You know, as you as you know, you both have been to Rwanda. The the the, the volcanic soil, the altitude, the rain, the sunshine—it's plenty. You know, it's a perfect storm for coffee, and and that was my goal. So I was like you focus on, on getting this coffee out here. Now, my NBA dreams got shattered. I, I couldn't do it. So I started coaching AAU basketball, you know, oh, yeah. on, the girls, on, the, on the girls' uh, division, you know? So I focused on, I would coach, I'd make $800 a month, you know? But at the same time, I'd also do like private coaching. I would, I would coach certain people's kids and I would make more money, you know, privately. I would coach Arnold Schwarzenegger's kid. I would coach so many people's kids, you know, from Patrick to all of them, you know? And, and, and that's, that's, that's what I did. Um, lucky for me, I was able to grow that. And that's what I did. So I would coach, save that money, put it into coffee, save, put it, you know, with the goal of doing that. So what was, what was the coffee at that time? What were you putting the money into? Were you sourcing well, the coffee or? No, there was, there was a, there was, I found someone in Seattle who was importing Rwandan coffee. And that was my only access because I couldn't afford to ship any coffee from Rwanda to here. Um, nor was any of my family members. So this one person that was buying coffee from Lake Kivu in Seattle. So I would ask them to just send me bags of roasted coffee. So I had, at the time I had met my wife, because my, my girlfriend at the time, but my wife now, um, we had met. So what I started doing was some of the money would go into making labels, stickers. So I would buy like 12 or 20 or 50 one pound bags that were just plain bags, no labels, nothing. So I'd buy them, slap a sticker on them 
and go out and try to sell them. So I would go door <laughs> to door every day. I would go to this restaurant, that cafe, and literally all my samples would be gone and everybody would be like, no, not interested. You know, or if they were interested, they said, well, can you supply equipment? <laughs> no, I can't supply equipment. I don't even have a warehouse. I'm just buying it from someone else. And, but I, all I knew was it had to be Rwandan coffee. And was, so it, them, and was it roasted in Seattle? Yes. Okay. It was roasted. Yeah. Because I, I had no way of paying somebody to roast it. So it was just sure. roasted in Seattle and then shipped to me. So it was basically just slap on sticker and, and, and sell. What did, what did the sticker say? Was it was it uh, was it your name? Like what a, name did you come up with? It was Silverback. It was, so Silverback. it was Silverback from day one. Yeah, Silverback. I love from that. Day one. I love that. Yeah. It was our, our family is from that area. Our family is from well, they changed the name to Musanzi, but at the time it was Ruhengeri. Uh That's where my that's where my mom and my grandparents are from. Um, so it was you know we're from there. The gorillas are from there. So to me, it wasn't just a name that I just plucked out. That's our area. So, you know, at first it was going to be, you know, I wanted to call it a thousand hills, but then like everything in Rwanda is going to be a thousand hills. <laughs> That's like so everything in Seattle is no- like evergreen or like, you know, emerald. It's like there's emerald girl, there's like emerald bank and emerald this and emerald that. And it's like, you're yeah. smart. You're, that's, that's smart. <laughs> you're like, it's got to be something else. Right. So it's got to be something else. And, 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 and I have, I have, you know, passion about the silverback you know it's it's a, it's a great it's one of my favorite animals that and the tiger um but but we don't have tigers in in rwanda so i said silverback silverback coffee and you know i got the name i you know trademarked it and then you know designed the packaging and you know paid someone to do it a buddy of mine uh was an artist he put it on the computer for me everything was buddy a buddy who did this, a buddy who did that, because yep. you know, there was only way I could get anything done. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. allowed to work. The money that I was bringing in wasn't enough. Um, so it just was pieces. There was no business plan. It was just jump and go. I love you that. Know, whatever I thought, I just did. There was no get it on paper, have a business plan. No, I just knew get the coffee, sell it, make a little profit, put back some, pay yourself, just do that. Repeat, repeat. Um, and, and that's, what, and that's what, what is, your, is too. Yeah, and what did your parents think about this? Or when did you apprise them of, they, they, of this? They, they, they loved it because what happened was my mom had opened something similar to a subway in Rwanda. I mean, this is when there were still dead bodies on the ground. Because my parents went, they were in Rwanda two days after Kagame took over the, 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 the it's, here it's called City Hall, the, uh, the government, the, the what's the word? I had it. Anyway, it, it, it's a, um, it's like the gov. It's, it's almost like the White House sort of thing, mm-hmm. like the, uh, not city hall, but the parliament. Mm-hmm. When he t- once, once he was in the parliament and he had taken over the parliament, and they had predict two days after my parents were in Rwanda, literally moved. So there were still bodies, you know, just a stench, just crazy. Were they just um, ready to be home, or did they want to help, they, or? Oh, All of the they above, yeah. Yeah, they were wanted to go home. They'd been refugees for years. They'd been prosecuted. They'd, they'd been refugees within their own country. And they had been refugees outside of the country. Um, so they wanted to go home to help. And, and so my mom kind of opened this little subway thing where she would just make sandwiches and stuff. And she wanted it to be a business, but also that helped. And, and, and nothing was ever sold. She would just give it away. So I said, well, mom, it's not a business. You 
you're just you're just helping you're giving you know because if you're not selling you're not making any money to turn around so they use whatever money you had to buy any lunch meat or bread or cheese or whatever make sandwiches milk you know we had some cows you know we, we we still do have some cows and she would make as you know in rwanda passion fruit is like everywhere so she would make passion fruit in the back you know diluted have some passion. And, and so I wanted to help her. So I figured if I can make some money with this coffee sales and I can send her some money back, but they, they were excited. They were like, yeah, but don't forget about school. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm done with school. I, it's time to, I have to work, you know, <laughs> but I couldn't work because we didn't, I didn't have a work permit. So everything I was doing was just, just cash based. You know, I didn't have her, um, my social security number was says not for employment. So yeah. I couldn't, you know, <laughs> oh, no. job. You know, so so what what ended up happening was thank God towards Bill Clinton's you know second term I think he gave all Rwandese social and political asylum, mm. uh, so I was able to get a, a work permit that allowed me to work. So that's when you know I I tried to get a normal job and I I couldn't. I I, I think you're I you're an entrepreneur. For, you're unemployable. Yeah, I I, I was telling <laughs> my wife it's funny because my wife is in fashion. You know that's what she does. And so I told her, yeah, I got, I got a job, you know, doing some sort of accounting for Banana, Banana Republic. They had just opened a store in, in um, Santa Monica on the Third Street Promenade. Uh, and I went and got a job there. I worked for one day and I never came back. <laughs> Oh, there's there's two things you ha you and I have in common, Jack. I worked for the Banana Republic. It lasted more than one day, but it was only about two months. And I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't. The one thing I learned though was knits. Wait, what is it? I learned something though. I learned I learned V-necks, and and I knew what the difference was. Yeah. So you I, learned V-necks. I love that so much. Right. <laughs> so, so I I I worked for one day, and I said I can't do this. So I went back to just doing private coaching, save some money, put it into the coffee business. And literally I did that for years because the, it, it was so hard for me to advance because anywhere I went, it was either they were in a contract with someone else or they liked the coffee, but I had to supply them the equipment, mm. the brewing equipment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I couldn't. And then I figured, okay, I didn't have any credit. Because from the time I had come, everything was cash-based. And in Africa, they teach you, oh, when you go to America, don't get caught up in credit, you know? Just pay. So I, so I, I came with the mindset of stay away from credit, not knowing that there's good credit and bad credit. Hmm. You know, it's something I have to, I, I literally learned all these things by making so many mistakes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I try to stay away from credit. So when I try to get a credit card, they're like, well, you know, have you had a credit? Do you have credit? I'm like, no, I don't. I'm trying. So I ended up, my, my, my mother-in-law now, you know, had told me, she said, look, why don't you send in like $500 and get a, a um, prepaid credit card and build your credit that way. And that's, that's how I started. You know, I saved $500, sent it to some no-name credit card company, <laughs> and, and I got my first credit card, you know? And, and from there, he's like, I'll use a little, pay, use a little. And um it, it, it just went from there and slowly I started growing and started growing. And I think my first account was a restaurant. She's a celebrity chef. Her name is Suzanne Track. It's, it's a restaurant in, in Beverly Hills called Jar. And, and she was my first 
client. And to this day, she's still my client. Yes. And she gave me an opportunity. And, and, and once people started saying, well, oh, Suzanne uses your coffee. It was almost like a re- because of the respect they give her, it was okay for me to get my coffee into their location. Yeah, so yeah. I started spreading word to mouth. And then uh, I met Jack Hanna through, through Silverback Coffee. He found, he found me because of my website. And then we met. He came to Long Beach to do a show. He invited me. We met. He told me how he, how he had a house in, in, in uh, Rwanda and in Musanzi. And then he introduced me to Gorilla Doctors. And he said, great. I, you know, I'd love for you to be on the board of Gorilla Doctors. Uh, so now I've been on the board of the Gorilla Doctors and, and I, I, everything I do now is really to give back to the, to the farmers in Rwanda to help promote them, empower them. Mm. You know, as you know, most of the coffee farmers in Rwanda don't even know what their coffee tastes like. Right. Um, so so, so I've, I've tried to create a market for them, uh, give them a, a way better uh, uh, um price point and fair trade can, but we want to do more than that as a family. We, we have a bigger picture for them, you know, as far as schools and infrastructure and other things, not just, you know, hey, make a good living in coffee and, and do this. You know, we want to give their kids other opportunities besides, you know, working on a coffee farm or anything like that. But through coffee, it brings us all together. And for me, I feel like coffee has always brought people together, whether it's meeting friends in a coffee shop, you know, to study, to catch up, to get together, to help make a resume, coffee brings people together. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like that aspect of it. Uh, and, and, uh, and then, you know, hence our, our name, obviously we wanted to work with the gorillas and give back and, and create some sort of, you know, tourism thing. So Silverback is, I, I wanted to be more than just coffee. You know, I wanted to be, you know, uh, tourism. I wanted to be giving back. I wanted to be a, a lot more, you know, but uh, it, it, it was hard in the beginning. So my first eight, seven, eight years were just, just brutal pound the pavement. And, and, and I think the last two years was time to see some sort of good, you know, traction and payback. That's, um, that's incredible. Excited. Yeah. Were you able to travel back and forth at all during that time, or was there no money for that? There was no money for that. I did, I, when I came here in December of 93, and we landed in JFK and then went to Washington, D.C., first of all, it was so cold. I had, <laughs> never, I had never experienced cold like that in my life. I was scared to touch my ear because I thought it would break (laughs) and and it was freezing um so once from the time i came i never saw my family or any of my siblings from 93 for seven years almost wow Uh, because there was no money to go home my parents couldn't my parents couldn't afford for me to go back home i couldn't afford to go back home and there was a fear of once i got my political asylum and I started doing my paperwork, you're not allowed to leave the country for a certain period of time right. to get it approved. So uh, my fear was like, if I ever did go, there was a chance I was never going to come. And the thing that my parents kept saying was like, look, it's okay. You, you are in a place where you can make a big difference, not only for yourself, but for your siblings, mm-hmm. you know, do that. So that was my goal. Even though I knew it, I felt guilty because 
I knew the schools that Arthur and David and Ashil were going. I knew the type of schools they were going because I had just left it. You know, these were schools where you you squatted and 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 went to the bathroom on the ground. You know, with flies everywhere. So I knew what they were dealing with. Mm. Yet I was here in America. You know, flip the switch, power came on, turn on the water, hot water. I I knew and I felt I felt this guilt. I. But at the same time, I felt like, no, don't feel that. Feel like you're in a place where you can make a difference. If you were there with them, that's all you guys would ever have, you know? So here it was like, okay, um, my sister was into interior design. I I would get the paperwork. Well, how can she come? How can she get a scholarship? Can anybody sponsor her? You know, stuff like that. So I would go and gather all this information for her and send it to her. You know, say, okay, fill in these forms, and then send them back. At the time, we only had DHL that went there. There was no FedEx. It was just DHL. DHL thing's been around forever. Yeah. <laughs> so they would, she, would get, she would send the paper. So I feel like at least I'm able to do something to give them hope that they will also be here with me. And, and that's what, that was one of the biggest things that kept me going, you know, because I'd wake up and, and I tell this to my wife and my mom and dad, you know, my, my dad since passed four years ago, but, but I used to, I used to, I used to talk to myself in my language just so that I don't forget my language. It was crazy. Wow. I would literally talk to myself in bed and have a conversation in my language. Cause I was worried that I would forget to speak my language. You know? Wow. Um, Did you but, ever feel the weight of that responsibility? Did it ever feel like a burden? No, it it, it, it didn't. I, I just felt like I gotta move faster. Hmm. I gotta I gotta I gotta move faster, and it was never hard to get up in the morning. Uh, it was it was never hard to just keep going without a lunch break or a water break. Like I just went. To this day, my wife sometimes says, "Did you eat lunch?" I go, "Oh no." I <laughs> You know, or, or she, you know, she would, when I used to coach, she used to make me a, uh, like a sandwich and stuff like that. And I would put it in the car and I would forget about it because it fell or something. Because I would just, I just do, do, go from the one thing to another thing to another thing. And then I would get so hungry around seven, eight o'clock at night. And I realized I hadn't eaten. <laughs> um, so I felt like I just needed to go, you know, again. No business plan, no strategy. Just get something done. Yeah, you know, and 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 that's 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 how I I kept going. That's what kept me going. There was no. I didn't feel like there was a burden. I didn't feel like, oh my god, I gotta do all this. I just felt like it had to be done. I love that. I think yeah. I think sometimes we complicate uh, business. Sometimes you know, and and certainly there's something to be said for a plan and a strategy and and all of that. Yeah. Um, you know, but as people have asked me, you know, how do I start a business or what's the next step? It's, if you just break it down to like, what is your next thing to do? And you just do it and you just, you, you methodically just do it one thing after another. And I've been, I'm realizing that I think sometimes the issue is that it's good to have goals, but sometimes we focus on those goals and we want them now, but you don't realize all those things that have to take place for you to achieve those goals. And just, you got to go the next thing, the next thing and the next thing. And that grind can be very difficult and I think especially for you know Americans who have had it relatively easy compared to many people in the world we've almost like lost that ability to have that just heads down 
put the work in. You know what I mean? Um, so I just, I don't, yeah. And also a note about credit in this country. We tend to have a very unhealthy relationship <laughs> with credit. And there are so many like you, whether, whether you're born here or not, there's such a steep learning curve when it comes to that because it's not taught in school here. No, 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 it, I, it's not. It's not. They taught. They, no, they teach you everything, but then they forget to teach you the pluses and minus of life. Yeah, <laughs> the pluses and minus of life. That's so true. That should be the core, the name of the, the course. Uh, <laughs> I, had, I, had a, I had a friend in, in college and there was uh, the credit card company was on campus giving away free pizzas if you yes. signed up for a credit card. Yes. Which of course they're going to sign up for a credit card because I want like, free I pizza. Ha I had that pizza, but and I left the, it in my and car. The school, and like, finally <laughs> kicked them off campus it. and said, "You can't do this. You know, you're breaking these laws or whatever." And you know, so I think there's some predatory stuff that hopefully has gotten you know, uh, you know, stopped or whatever. But it was interesting because one of my friends signed up for this credit card and he just like went out and bought a bunch of stuff. And I was, I was like, you know, you have to pay that back, right? He's like, well, yeah, yeah, I'm just paying the monthly. It's like sixteen bucks. The a minimum, month. The, the minimum, minimum, the minimum balance. And I was like, you know that that's that you don't ever pay your credit card off if you just pay the minimum. And he was like, what? And I was like, no, 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 it's, it's not how it works. Like you get charged interest and they make money if you don't pay the monthly balance. And it was like, but he'd never been taught. And so here, you know, so it's, oh my goodness. Anyway. He thought he was borrowing 20 bucks from his buddy yeah. who doesn't charge him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, that's a, the, the one thing I, uh, that you said that really struck out to me is I think that's why I love specialty coffee, the industry, but also the show. When you go to specialty coffee shows or coffee shows, it brings so many people together from all over the world, from growers to farmers, to importers, to distributors, to roasters, to equipment makers, right. to drinkware, you know, to cafes. I mean, the whole thing and it's global. Um, it's yeah. such a fun industry. Yeah, it, it, it is. And these, you know, my, 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 my family, we're fortunate enough because we're all really good at something that if we all came together, it, it works for what, what I've started, you know, it, it really does. I have a brother who's very good into in banking and numbers and strategy. He does his thing for UPS, um, Western Union. He, he, I mean, he works with like seven or eight screens. I mean, it's just a bunch of numbers. Uh, you know, I, I hate emailing, I hate typing. I'm, I'm just a doer and I have, I have vision, you know. My sister's into interior design and decorating and stuff. You know, it, it's, it's, my wife was great in marketing and branding and, and stuff like that. That's what she, she's, she works for this French company based in Paris and she's their US CEO, North America kind of CEO. So, but we, I have such a huge vision for Silverback, you know, but it's, it's gonna take time. But like you said, funding, you know, and for me, it's just okay, put my head down, just keep going, I'll get there. Uh, and again, going back to business plans, uh, like you said, you know, you, you, you and I, like you said, have this, this, this thing where you just kind of work and, and sometimes people say, well, do you have a business plan? And my business plan is kind of like in my head. Yeah. Like I, 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 I see it. I know it's going to work. When I started doing coffee, all my friends said, you know, it'll never work because the big boys will, will have done. I'm like, that's fine. There's plenty of people that it'll make my brand work. Yep. And, and my vision is totally different from what they're doing. Exactly. Uh, I, I just have to bring it out. And, and my biggest fear, going back to why I started my own business was, I was scared of getting fired. I never wanted to get fired. 
I never wanted to work for somebody who had the power to fire me. So I was like, I'm not gonna work. What if he wakes up and mad at me and he fires me? Then I so just go work for yourself. <laughs> That's you know, great. Day, you know, um, you know it's it's interesting. But, I was uh, I wasn't afraid of uh, of necessarily being fired when I worked at Banana Republic. I remember because at the same time I had a small media production company, so I'd you know I'd film you know uh, commercials and things you know for various people, and then on the weekends I'd film weddings, and you know on the weekend I'd make like a thousand or two thousand dollars for maybe four hours of work, and then during the week I go back to Banana Republic and I was making like seven or eight bucks an hour, and so I was like, okay, if I work twenty hours this week, seven bucks an hour, I okay, I'm only going to make this amount of money, and right. it just it just crushed my my entrepreneur spirit. I was like, I can make way more money filming more weddings or whatever it was. So it was, that, that for me was just like the motivator to keep on not doing the banana Republic thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay. So when did your, your life takes a turn and Hollywood comes knocking at your door? Tell us about <laughs> that. That was, it, it, the way that happened is a movie in itself. Uh, I was um, I was driving down Sunset, um, and I had actually gone to a coffee bean on Sunset. There was a Sunset Plaza, and 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 that's when I knew. That's where I used to go and sit and get inspired. You know, I would sit and say, okay, okay, and I would look and I would see and I would see how people would come in for coffee like crazy, different types of coffee. You know, black uh, creamers, uh, you know, sugar-based coffees, and you know, and and I was amazed at the amount of people. So I'm driving. I'm on Sunset Plaza and I'm going to UCLA to go play basketball. Uh, it was pickup basketball, it was summer basketball. So I'd go there and play because a lot of NBA players would go there and play. That's where I met Magic. Um, so I'd go. Driving down Sunset, this guy, you know, starts honking at me and he starts telling me to move, move, like almost, almost kind of telling me to move over. Uh, I did, now that I know he was asking me to pull over, but I thought he was asking me to move over. So me being polite from Africa, didn't understand all this road rage, and I moved, <laughs> you know, I did something wrong. So I, I move over to the right, you know, there's only two lanes, all these expensive cars, so I had to be careful. Uh, I mean, my Jetta that I can't fit in, you know. <laughs> he pulls up next to me and he and, and he he goes, did you act? And I go, no. I go, no, 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 I don't act. He goes, you should act. I go, no, 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 nothing's, you know. <laughs> um, he, he, he insists, he goes, let me give you my business card. So I just pull over, you know. I'm like, let me just take his card and leave me alone. So I take his card and I put it, next to you know my coins my everything a little you know yeah where you, where you throw everything pants yeah, coins, everything. yeah. <laughs> stuff, right. that, stuff that you don't need right you're just, right just, yeah. you, just, you just build up until you're tired of the you know <laughs> you trash it it's yeah so so i put it in there and it's you know part of the trash for weeks but then what ends up happening is I, i'm starving for money I, I i need money uh i'm, I'm not working as much i'm running out of money i'm borrowing from friends you know, it, it's, it's, and then when I make the little money, I'm paying back the friend and I still got no money, you know? So I'm like, you know what? Let me call this guy. Maybe I can go make some money, you know? So I call him. He goes, okay, come to my office. He goes, remember where you met me? I'm behind there. There's a house. It's actually my office. So I go there. His name's Joe Kokowitz. I'll never forget this guy. I'll never forget this man. He, 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 he helped me 
I used to be really shy, like super shy. Hmm. I never spoke. I literally never spoke. Um, the only time I spoke is if someone asked me a question. If they didn't ask me a question, I never spoke. Um, so he, I, I went to his office, we sat down, and he told me, he goes, have you ever acted? I go, no. He goes, first of all, you're really tall. I had no idea you were, you were that tall. You know, <laughs> you're like, I'm seven we feet. Were, I know we, I'm tall. We were, yeah, we were both in cars. Yeah, you're <laughs> like, I folded myself into thirds to yeah. get in my I car. Was literally like, I was literally like, <laughs> Yeah. So I, I, I end up giving him, you know, going to his office with chit chatted. He did this. He, he taught me how acting worked, you know, literally in his office for maybe three to four hours. Yeah. He, he said, look, what I'm going to do for you is like, I will pay for your first 60 headshots. I'll have someone take on in, take pictures. And then at the time I didn't know what headshots were. So he takes, he takes these um, pictures for me. He pays for them. He goes, look, if you don't book anything, and this is language that I've learned, you know, if you didn't book anything, I didn't know what booked meant, you know, if you don't book anything by the time these uh, headshots are complete, I'll leave you alone, you know? But if I call you and ask you to go to an audition, you have to show up because I have an agency to run. And if people that I say are gonna come, don't come, it, it looks bad on my agency, right? Um, so I said, look, that's, that's fair. You pay for them. You call me. You tell me to go. You know, if it's if it's somewhere I can get to, you know, let me know. I'll go. So two or three days later, he calls me, and he sends me to, uh, who's this? Uh, Rally Studios. I think it's on Melrose, and he sends me there for my first ever audition. I get there and I'm, I am scared because I get there and I see all these people with papers. <laughs> talking to themselves, you know, they're in a corner and they're talking to themselves, hand gestures, this, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, what did I get myself into? <laughs> Meanwhile, I think that I made a promise to this guy, I can't bail out. But I'm sitting there for so long, and I'm thinking, okay, in my head, I started thinking of how I can say that I went, but maybe they didn't like me, you know, so I never went. So I go there and literally as I'm getting ready to leave and call them and say, Joe, you know, it didn't work out. Nobody called me. I was there for two hours. They call my name and I freak out. They call my name. They say, okay, the, this is what you're going to do. You know, the casting director is going to be on this side. He's going to read with you. He's going to do this. You're going to do that. You're going to say that. It was a, it was a, a Taco Bell commercial. And uh, I go, okay, fine. No problem. So I go there and the guy reads to me and reads to me and I'm in there and then like that, it's over. And, and I read it and I, you know, I mean, they tell me, so could be a little more excited. I could do this a little more. So I, I do it and I leave. I call Joe. I say, okay, Joe, I went. He goes, okay, great. Thank you. You know, I'll call you. I'll call you in a couple of days. So a week goes by and I forget about it. He goes, oh, great, Chad. They called you. They want you to come back in for a second reading. I'm like, what? So I go back and then I do the second reading. And later that afternoon, he calls me and he goes, Jack, you booked the commercial. I go, what? <laughs> I go, what do I have to do? You know, where do I have to go? He goes, no, 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 no. I'll call you and let you know what happened. So he takes me through the process and, and he goes, look, I'll come on the day of the shoot and I'll, I'll be there with you, you know? And I think I was there for two days and I made like $14,000. I was blown away. 
I was like, what? I did that? And I got $14,000? You're I like, I was in the wrong business. Right. I called my family. I said, I just made $14,000. They're like, no. I go, yeah. They're like, what did you do? So I explained to them, yeah, I did this thing on TV. And I was there. Yeah. And then I get another check after it aired. <laughs> and I got these checks just kept coming in. And I was like, like you said, I'm in the wrong business. <laughs> so I was like, okay, so I called Joseph. Okay, what can I do? When can I do another one? He goes, oh, wait, 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 wait. They have to send in, you know, what they're looking for. And if, if it's, you're the right fit, I'll send you in. So it went from doing a Taco Bell commercial. And then I did an American Express commercial. And then they said, okay, there's a featured film that's coming out. And it's a basketball movie. They're looking for some basketball players. So Joe calls me. So I'm thinking, oh, I'm just going to play basketball. He goes, no, no, you're reading for a part, like a character. <laughs> you're like, my three-point shot is great. I'm a little rusty, <laughs> but I'm great. <laughs> right. right. So I, I, I go, and, and, I, and, I meet, and I'm seeing all these people that I've actually seen on TV, real actors, not me who just met some guy that's never done any acting classes or anything. But all I knew was, again, the amount of money they were getting paid to do that. I was... I was shocked, you know? I had no idea they were getting paid this kind of money to do that. And it was, it was pretty easy. I felt like I was pampered. I had a trailer. Somebody kept wanting to bring me food. And I'm like, <laughs> uh, no, I'll get my own food. They're like, no, no, tell me what you want. I'll go get it for like, No, I'll get my own food, you know? And they're like, you're really nice. I'm like, no, I just can get my own food. I don't need you to get me my food, you know? So I go and I'm seeing all these actors that I've seen on TV and I'm thinking, what the hell am I doing here? You know, I started asking myself, like, this is not who I am. But I kept thinking of the money that I was able to stand home and the money that I was able to put into the, towards the, what I want to do with coffee, you know? It helped me buy more bags. It helped me buy a, a burlap bag as opposed to roasted coffee. So I bought like seven, eight bags and had somebody here in LA roast it for me as opposed to having someone in Seattle roast it. So that's all I kept thinking. So I'm like, okay, go do that and put that money there. And then uh, uh, with the movie, I, I read, uh, and at the time I didn't know, I knew who he was because I had seen him on TV, uh, Marlon Wayans. And there was a scene that we had to do together, you know, and we did the scene together and they called me back and then they called me back. And before I knew it, I was on the, sh uh, on, on the thing and I was flown to Seattle. We were there for uh, two weeks and then we went to Vancouver for three months and I was thinking, what a life. This is crazy. I was getting per diem. I'm like, why am I getting per diem when they feed us all day? You know, <laughs> but I didn't want to, I didn't want to complain. They were like, okay, you're getting this amount of money for, for this week. Uh, sign here and here's your cash. And I'm thinking we're on set all day. They give us food all day. And then I'm gone home, but they give me per diem. And I was like, this is incredible. Welcome to America. And I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> you know? So I literally saved all my money. And then after saving all my money, my dad was diagnosed with throat cancer. So mm. the only way he could get surgery was here and he didn't have insurance so we had to pay cash. So literally all the money that I made went towards his, his surgery and therapy, which I was totally okay with, you know? I was like, that's why I got that job, literally, because it, it helped me make all this money and I was able to help do the surgery for my dad. You know, yeah. it was crazy. 
Hmm. So it went back to square one of trying to get money, raise money, which I was fine with. But it was just, it was crazy. And then I told myself, I said, I'm not, I'm not an actor. I, I'm this, I, I kind of, I told Joe, I said, I can't, I can't, I can't do this, even though the money is great. I, I can't, that's, I had no, there was no passion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. My passion was business, doing that. That's what I wanted to do. So that was my little Hollywood life. <laughs> oh, that's such so, a good story. The, um, you have such a healthy, uh, it seems like you have such a healthy relationship with money of understanding that it's a tool and, and, and not a, not a, um, you know, it's not the end all be all, you know, that you, no. you, it seems like you hold it lightly, you know, you're able to, you know, help your dad out, which is incredible. Uh, right. and it seems, it seems from the outside, I certainly am not in Hollywood, but so many people get this perverse view and just start spending all this money and here you are saving your money and getting back right. to the business world. Right. Yeah. For me, it was to be able to help, you know, I, I uh, material stuff is, is I, I know how quickly it can go, um, you know, and I don't want to be that person that feels like it, it's, I, I, I am who I am because of my, the materials that I have, because then I feel like I'm still empty because I've seen it and I see what really matters. And I saw that at a young age, which I truly appreciate because I feel it gives me a foundation, you know, um so yes money does a lot to help it gives you a better lifestyle but for me i want to use it to be able to yes take care of myself and my family but i want to be able to help others because i know if they're okay i'll be way better off yeah yeah that's amazing do you when did you open up your first cafe um i opened up my first cafe because it's funny because before even the warehouse we used to have all the beans in our one bedroom apartment with my wife and <laughs> got married, you know, uh, and, and it was like, okay, we want to have a child. Right. So we got a two bedroom, right. Two bedroom became the office. And that's where I saw all my beans. Also <laughs> just bags of coffee, you know, carts, it just smelt. And she's like, okay, you gotta get rid of it. We, we gotta do something. So we found a smaller warehouse. Uh, and then we set at our growing up warehouse and then she found another warehouse because she was going to a job site and she found this empty space. In that empty space, there was an opportunity to have your warehouse in the back and have a cafe. So that's what we did. We opened our first cafe and we figured that the cafe would help us market the brand. It, it, it would be our billboard, so to speak. We, you know, we didn't have marketing dollars. We figured people could come here drink it and taste it the way we want them to taste it um promote the country promote the brand promote the gorillas and open that first cafe so our cafe is in our roastery in 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 downtown la in the arts district so and then an opportunity came about where another location was opening up in echo park uh a, a great place the place that we currently had was very limited as far as foot traffic was concerned it was a lot of cars, warehousey type, so there was no really good visibility. But it was it was good for the building, so we jumped on it. We said, you know what? Let's take advantage of this space since it's a lot more food traffic, very hip, very cool. You know, young. Uh, we can open late. We can open on the weekends. So we decided, okay, let's let's open the location. We had a grand opening ten days before COVID. Oh. As soon as it opened, ten days later, COVID hit. It's it's been shut, closed. So we mm. closed it down. 
And then we try to reopen again after the, or the first protesting with the Black Lives Matter, but it's, it's not been the same. Those first 10 days were amazing. Uh, the place was packed. We didn't have enough space for people to sit down. We had to buy more chairs. And then yes. all of a sudden, it's just been a disaster. Because yeah. um, uh, we were, we're mainly wholesalers. That's what we right. were, hotels and restaurants and cafes. But everybody we sell to is closed. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody we sell to is closed. Some can't pay us. Uh, two restaurants are closed for good. The lady decided to just retire. Uh, she walked away with money that she owes us. But I feel so bad for her. She's like, just take my furniture, take my, sell it, whatever money you're able to make, make, mm-hmm. you know. And she's an older lady. Her husband passed away. She, her kid, her kid wants nothing to do with the cafe, you know. <clears throat> so, so it's just been, it's been hard. But we've we've had to revamp ourselves and and, and try to make it work. You know? yeah. yeah. What What have you learned between March and and today? Um, we we've learned to be more direct to consumer type, you know. Um, because we we were successful as far as just wholesale, you know, and, and we never knew something like this would happen. So we right. just kept focusing, grow the wholesale, grow the wholesale, grow the wholesale. And our next step was more of bringing in green, green coffee and, and that we don't use and sell to other roasters um, from other countries because we have relationships in Rwanda and Uganda and Kenya. We have friends that are in coffee in those locations that aren't doing well. So we were going to help them promote their stuff. And when this happened, we were like, okay, we've got to transition ourselves and, you know, do direct to consumer. So we, we updated our website and we started focusing more on subscription and finding, you know, finding a different way to just do grocery stores more. Mm. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it's been hard. It's, uh, it's, it's, now we're we find ourselves reaching out more to to the to the public and and to rest grocery stores. So that's that's where we are now, you know, because uh, our wholesale is kind of really shut down. It's been a tough it's been a tough year. I uh, yeah. I hope we can get uh, vaccinated soon and, and kind of get back to whatever the new normal is. But um, I mean, I think. I think looking back, we're certainly appreciative of, uh, you know, all those who have, who have, uh, helped us along. And then, you know, we've tried to help, uh, others along as well with, you know, giving back. You, you helped us. Yeah. Yeah. It's the only, I think it's the only way, you know, forward. Um, and for you specifically, I mean, resilience is woven throughout your entire story from a very early age. And so I, I don't see you as being daunted by, you know, you. by what we've, by what we've faced the past 12 months. I mean, yeah. I'm sure you have a plan in your head maybe oh, for, yes. for where to go from here. <laughs> oh yes. Oh yes, there is. Yeah, there is. And you know, and hence, hence our tagline, you know, born from adversity, cultivating unity. Yeah. So we just, you know, we just, we just keep going. Um, and, and then there's still people out there and I feel like coffee's is, it's still a comfort food in a way. You know, and people need their coffee to function. So I figured mm-hmm. they find a different avenue to get it to them. Yeah. 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 I mean, the, the, the entrepreneur life, right. To find, yeah. find a way to, to meet the customer where they're at, stay in business and survive. And yeah, I, I, I'm fully confident that you are going to find a way to continue <laughs> to, to, to grow the brand and, and to give back and to um, continue to tell the beautiful story of Rwanda. 
Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And 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 again, I can't say this enough. You know, thank you for you guys for, you know, giving us a platform and supporting us and and what you do. You know, for Rwanda and the rest of the world. You know, I see I see what you guys do with water and stuff like that. And, and yeah. yeah, you should come visit our farm. We we have this rock. Yes. We have this rock where water has been coming out of that rock for years. I mean, years. My parents were little. And that's the only water my mom drinks. And it literally helps her knees. And stuff. It's, it's just like a mineral water. All, them, all she does is literally takes it out of the water, lets it sit in the sun, and drinks it. That's amazing. It's, yeah, it's just, it just comes out like a faucet. The, that's the, incredible. The locals come, they fill up their jars, and they walk away. It's just constant. We got it. So, we got to go. I have never been. Yeah. Beck has been there. Yeah. Um, where Where in Rwanda is your family or your parents? It's a, It's a, We have our dairy farm there. It's like a twenty five minutes drive from Kigali. It's not far at all. It's a. Okay. It's a perfect location, um, because it's not too far, but it's spacious enough to do to do whatever. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And we, twenty twenty five minutes. I mean, whew, It can take a long time to get from one place to another in yes. in in Rwanda. So for, and especially for how small it is. So that's not yeah. a bad drive at all. I, I sat in, you know, trucks there for six plus hours trying to get from one place to the other. Yeah. 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 I think they're trying to change it to a lot of one ways. That's what they're trying to change. Mm. You know, yeah. They're trying to change it to where it's one way and also uh, electrical. They're trying to do some sort of like tram system, kind of like in Holland. Mm. where they use cars because Rwanda is really trying to move away from from vehicles um they're mm -hmm. trying to reduce vehicles to more public transportation like buses and trains uh, yeah because they're very they very they want to go green like really fast mm -hmm. yeah they've done a great job i remember the sign from some photographs uh, some photographs from our team and they've eliminated uh plastic bags you know single-use plastic yeah. bags like they're banned yeah they're amazing yeah I mean, that's one of the first signs you see when you land at the airport. Like, yeah. don't bring your plastic bags in, don't bring your in, plastic. in country. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Take it and give you a bag. Yeah. 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 Were you able to go uh, to Rwanda recently with, with uh, Arthur? Or? No, the last, time, the last time I was there was um, my dad, when my dad passed, uh, which was uh, four years ago. Um, and because my business is still growing, uh, literally, my dad passed when we first got that warehouse we were in now where we opened our food cafe. So everything had to be on pause. And then when that started, I, I, I got really busy and, and I'm, I'm slowly growing my staff to where I can actually go do something instead of being there physically for anything to happen. Um, and then I was, my, the plan was to go this past November, uh, but we had planned in January of last year to go in November and December with my wife and son. And then COVID came in and just you know ruined the whole thing. So yeah, but I'm trying to get there as quickly as I can. If if possible, I want to go to in February. Uh, a family, a family. What we'll call our cousin. Yeah, <laughs> um, he's getting married. Her dad was. I don't know if you know a little bit of the whole um, uh, when the when when the rebels were trying to take over Rwanda. There was a gentleman, his name was Fred. Fred was the one who kind of led, was the initial leader of the movement to take over Rwanda with the rebel, with the, when the killings began. 
but then he died early in the in the takeover. And when he died, literally two days into the invasion, he died. And then Kagame took over. And then Kagame, you know, kind of all, uh, took over the whole thing. But Fred, at the time, had a young daughter, and she's getting married. So we want to go for the wedding for her. Yeah. Wow. She's, she's a family friend. Yeah. What do you miss about Rwanda? Um, just, you know, the people, the little small things we do, the, the food, um, you know, mom, obviously, you know, number one. Mm -hmm. um, there's just certain things, there's, there's certain smells, you know, from the type of food that's being made, obviously culinary, the type of foods that they make, we eat, um, you know, hearing your language all the time, anywhere, you know, even though it's not being spoken to you. Um, it's, it's mostly smells and sights and things you hear, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, what about the what about the weather when I was there oh. I don't think it was the rainy season but there was a torrential downpour that I've never ever experienced before and I'm from Seattle and right. I I have this snapshot in my head of all the moto cars and all the pedestrians where we were they gathered under the gas station right. overhang and and so even if you wanted to pull up to get gas you couldn't because they were all right. huddled under there just waiting for it to pass wait you were there in 2019 uh-huh Oh, yeah, that was one of the craziest rainy years we've had in Rwanda. Oh, really? I was there. Yes. In, I was there in September of 2019. Yeah, that was one of the from because our, our rainy season starts in October. There's a rainy season from October that goes from October to the end of December. Um, it starts kind of mid-October. And then there's another one that's kind of starting now. I, I'm sorry, not now. Um, mid-March mid to end of April. We have, we have two rainy seasons. But the one you, you experienced was one of the worst we've ever had. It really? started in, in like mid-September. It went through all the way to March. It was oh, like cool. six months of straight rain. Like <laughs> there was flooding. Some of our cows died. Oh, no. um, there was landslides. There were people died from landslides, from all the hills that we have, the rain, the, the the ground couldn't take it. Yeah, but yeah. You, 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 you were in uh, one of the record-breaking rainy seasons we had. Okay, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, but uh, but it's always fresh. You know, we get rain and clean air and sunshine. So much green. It's so beautiful. Yeah. It's so beautiful there. Yeah. yeah, it's. I I appreciate you hearing you say that you miss the the sensory aspect to it because I felt I felt that when I was there. There's just so much to take in. That's so yeah. unique too. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of Seattle, actually, sometimes. You yeah. Know, the hills and the greenery and the trees, and especially if you go to, you know, the northern part, you know, because um, when, when Arthur lived there and I used, we went there and, and my wife was like, yeah, this kind of reminds me of Rwanda, you know? Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's, it's, I miss it. Yeah. yeah. I miss it. Yeah. Arthur or uh, Jack, excuse me. The, um, I was, I was, I've asked Arthur this um, in the past and I'm curious uh, what, what you may say or what your response might be, but what, what do we as Americans, what can we learn from Rwandans, from their history of, of multiple genocides, you know, and, it, and especially in light of the beginning of this year, there's just so much political fighting and, and just, just hate, you know, what, what, what can we learn from Rwandans? Well, it, it's, it's one acknowledging 
what has happened, you know, and then understanding that it can't move forward until there's true forgiveness. Like nobody's asking that you forget about it, but have true forgiveness and, 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 and change the way you live after that. Because you can't say that, oh, I'm gonna forgive you, but then tomorrow the things you do in life still reflect in your old thoughts and behaviors. Mm. Um, so like in Rwanda, we have a neighbor that killed his wife that lives next to my mom. And he killed his wife because it was either he killed his wife or they machete her and the kids. And he, he chose to shoot her. He said, I'll just shoot her. Um, otherwise, they were gonna machete her and then machete the kids. So he was somebody that was forgiven. But, but ever since then, he's adopted some young Tutsi uh, kids, um, you know, to give them life. And, 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 and really live your life in the word forgiveness, as opposed to just saying, uh, okay, we'll forget about it. And, but then your day-to-day -day behavior and lifestyle reflects the old ways. Um, and, 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 and make it part of, make it part of your daily life, you know? Uh, like, in, like we have, like how we have community healing. We let, we let, instead of the government saying, okay, we're gonna pick and choose who's going to jail and who we're gonna forgive. You know, you can't, because otherwise you, you send 70% of the country to jail. Um, in Rwanda, what they did is they did community healing. If the community accepted you and, and said, you know what? Yes, you did bad deeds, but the way you did your bad deeds was through through uh, power and being told what to do. If the communities healed each other, it it worked. But if a higher power tried to heal the grassroots, that's why it's called the grassroots level, it was ne it would never work. So they let the communities have Saturday meetings and 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 forgiveness. Um, um, speeches where they came and they spoke and, 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 and accepted it and said, you know what, I did this and I'm sorry, but I did it because of this. And you know me as a person, this is, this is not who I am. And then if the community forgave that person, then you were able to walk around freely as opposed to being pointed out. Um, because it's, it's hard for someone to just come in and, you know, pull the lever and say, no, you're bad. You did this. And because then it, it just never works. You, you think it does, but it doesn't. It has to be from the ground up, a community type of healing. Uh, right. Because that higher power doesn't live with the, the aftermath. Exactly. Exactly. Because those communities, those are the little small links that, that, that make that change strong. Mm -hmm. So if they're getting along and they're working it together, there's a foundation, you know, and then education, teaching it, letting people know, and not hiding it, not don't brush it under the you know carpet or under the table and pretending that it never happened. Um, you know that's why they celebrate it every year. That's why they talk about it. They they talk about it in schools. They they just let people know we can't forget about it, but they let the community be the lead on on it. You know, hmm. um, so it's the only way. You know, and it's it's worked that thus far. You know, um, and some people don't like how. And some people come up to me and go, you know, yeah, but Kagame is really, 
you know, he's, he rules kind of with an iron fist. I'm like, he doesn't rule with an iron fist. He's, I look at him like that headmaster or that teacher that you can't stand as a kid. Mm-hmm. But when you leave, you're like, man, I'm glad that teacher was on me because I'm, I'm, I'm good at what I do now because of them. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm, I'm better in math or I'm better at this because of them. You know, at the time you may not like him, but that's what we needed. We needed that tough teacher, that tough headmaster because Africa is not used to that, you know? And, and, and the community has really come together because when you go home, you can see it. You can see a difference in, in one, the infrastructure and how people live and, and all that and security and health and uh, health insurance and academics, you can see it, uh, you know? Um, you don't have to ask, it's there. So it's, it's, it's all community-based and, and, and I think that's, that's where it starts. Yeah. You know? Makes a lot of sense. Well, it's certainly inspiring. And for sure, I think we, we as a country have a lot to learn. Um, and hopefully it doesn't get to the point of uh, sacrifice, you know, got to yeah. sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Something Americans were not good at is, is being selfless. So it's funny cause I was, one person at a time. <laughs> it's funny. Cause I always tell my wife, I go, you know, this country is great because of its, uh, its rights, but its rights is what's going to also take it down. You know, it's mm-hmm. great because you have all these rights, rights to do this. And, but the minute you want to do something that helps the the bigger, you know, the bigger picture, it's, oh, you're taking my rights away. No, you know, nobody's taking your rights away. It's just, it's something that's going to be uncomfortable, but it's helping the bigger picture. Because if, if they're not happy, you live your life looking over your shoulder. That's, I don't want to live like that. You know, I want to live freely, but if I have to live always wondering, I build a bigger fence so nobody can come into my house, bigger build, a bigger wall. So I don't want to live like that. I want to be open and free, you know, and and sometimes just a little sacrifice to help them makes me comfortable. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Where did your wife grow up? She's from here. She's uh, she's from uh, Maryland. Okay. Yeah, she's from here. She's U.S. Yeah. We'll have to hear that story another another time. How you met? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. oh. your, your great smelling yes. apartment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> seriously. Yeah, yeah. Oh, she, she's so been awesome. a she's been a trooper, man. Because those first few years of this was she's the one that had the regular job and you know the day to day eight to five. And Sounds familiar. <laughs> that so, could sound. She, she put up with Sounds my. Great trying to put it together type of business you know you know it'll work i promise i promise it'll work just hang in there you know <laughs> five years later i promise it'll work <laughs> yeah. oh that's that's too good well jack thank you so much for spending time today with us your your story is inspiring uh just your resilience your your ability to find a way and and to, to persevere is just it's really admirable and and uh things that i took away of just your your constant giving back um and and your level-headedness is just really inspiring so thank you for what you do and and for who you are we just it's been great hanging out with you today yeah i echo that for sure how can our listeners uh support you and what you're doing maybe get to know you better i don't know if you have an instagram profile or 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 just how how we can stay connected yes uh well instagram is silverback coffee simple silverback coffee uh, or they can go on our website, uh, silverbackcoffee.com or silverbackcoffeeofrwanda.com. Um, or, you know, when uh, they can visit our cafe in Echo Park, it's at uh, 
1712 West Sunset Boulevard uh, in Echo Park. Uh, we have uh, COVID hours, you know, eight to three every day, and it's mostly grab and go, but hopefully soon they can sit and enjoy some traditional meals and listen to some Rwandese music uh, every Friday. Uh, oh, nice. You know, it'll be, it'll be interesting. Uh, and that's where they can find us. Yeah. That's great. I have my very best friend lives in LA. So until I can get there, I will send her to, to your cafe <laughs> on, on my behalf. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Jack. It's been, it's been a real pleasure to hang out with you today. Brian, Rebecca, thank you, man. Thank you so much for having us. And uh, I appreciate it. Again, I go back to the, the work you guys do is, is awesome. Uh, and uh, we love your mugs and cups and, and all that stuff. Thank Heck you. Yeah, we, we appreciate it. All right. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too, guys. Take care. Thanks for tuning in. We will see you on the next episode.